Hey, hey, this is retirement news for the week ending Friday, September 3rd. And today the jobs report came out. And for August, only 225,000 jobs were added. And that's down from 1.05 million in July that were added. So there's lots of reasons for this, but it's definitely a disappointing number. But as we've talked about before, this is the final week of enhanced federal unemployment benefits, so you can count on a sizable number of people begrudgingly entering the workforce in September. Another reason for people to go back to work is the Supreme Court ruled that the CDC does not have the authority to impose the eviction moratorium. That's right. That was a six to three decision, which is great. Um, of course, Nancy Pelosi, who's so fucking rich, her refrigerator costs more than I make in a month, came out with the following statement. The court's decision to block the new CDC eviction moratorium is immoral, putting families at risk of being put on the streets. And it is a serious public health threat as the Delta variant continues. Now, this is such fucking bullshit. I mean, seriously, if Pelosi, Schumer, and AOC, and all of the rest gave two shits, they would have introduced legislation to protect renters rather than kicking it to the Centers for Disease Control, which has no jurisdictional authority to impose any kind of a mandate like that. And that actually is uh, exactly what the Supreme Court wrote in their decision. Quote, it would be one thing if Congress had specifically authorized the action that the CDC has taken, but that has not happened. Instead, the CDC has imposed a nationwide moratorium on evictions in reliance on decade on a decades-old statute that authorizes it to implement measures like fumigation and pest extermination. End quote. Now, speaking of the eviction moratorium, I shared my thoughts about the looters versus the producers a couple episodes ago, so I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but I just got to say that right now, there's no justification for an eviction moratorium. Unemployment is less than 6%. Disposable income per capita is up year over year, and there's a help wanted sign in every goddamn business you walk into, and people are taking advantage. Um, so speaking of taking advantage, I want to share an article I found on cbsnews.com, and it's about one of the many landlords who are SOL as a result of their looter tenants not having to pay rent. So I'll, I'll read you a bit of it. Brandy Lacasse has been waiting on rent for nearly a year. She owns three properties in upstate New York, but the single mother, an Air Force veteran is functionally homeless after falling on hard times herself. After notifying tenants they had to move out so that she could move in, the tenants stopped paying rent and stayed put, she said. She and her daughter have been living out of her car and staying with friends. Quote, I've cried many nights thinking, where's my money, she said. Despite more than $23,000 in unpaid rent, Lacasse can't force her tenants out because of state and federal moratoriums on evictions. But federal money that was meant to alleviate such situations isn't making it to landlords. Nearly 90% of rental assistance funds allocated by Congress has not been distributed according to the Treasury Department. I don't understand how they can give my private property to someone else to live for free. I bought that property. I fixed it up with my blood, sweat, and tears, she said. 
The eviction bans were meant to protect vulnerable renters during the pandemic, but some property owners say they've become collateral damage. So the article even quotes the tenant, which I found surprising. This is a woman named Carla MacArthur who uh, made sure to lean hard on the COVID defense. Quote, I feel bad that I have not been able to pay her, MacArthur said. We've gone from two incomes. I had COVID-19 twice. My kids have all had it once. My husband's had it once. We've been affected by the virus. So again, the woman who bought the house spent the time and money to fix it and make it available as a rental, is now homeless along with her child. The renters stopped paying, but continue to have a roof over their heads. Uh, I'll put a link to that article in the show notes. So next up, let's talk about crypto. Okay, as I record this on Friday, September 3rd, Bitcoin has again passed the 50K mark and Ethereum is just under 4K. Now, there are a lot of people out there saying Bitcoin could reach 100K by the end of 2021. Um, of course, nobody knows. But think about the mania that's going to happen if it were to hit 100K. I mean, right now, people, well, people and funds, for that matter, are clamoring to get their hands on Bitcoin. There are still people out there, you know, like Peter Schiff, saying that it's a bullshit asset that's going to end up cratering to nothing. But the naysayers are getting to be fewer and fewer with each passing week. Uh, and as the Bitcoin price rises, media outlets want to talk about it. Bitcoin at 50K gets clicks. And speaking of clicks, the New York Times ran an article on Bitcoin today. But as if reading off a script, the article wasn't about El Salvador adopting it as legal tender, which should be the Bitcoin news of the week. No, the article was about the carbon footprint resulting from Bitcoin mining. And of course, they use the same figures we've been being bored with for months, if not years. It uses more energy than Finland. Oh God, our planet is doomed, okay? Also, they go into the fact that supposedly mountains of hardware are being dumped as it becomes obsolete and miners acquire new hardware. Um, and there's a great quote from the article. Alex DeVries, a Paris-based economist, who's, by the way, 32 years old, estimates that every year and a half or so, the computational power of mining equipment doubles, making older machines obsolete. So according to his calculations, at the start of 2021, Bitcoin alone was generating more e-waste than many mid-sized countries. Okay, he has no information to back that whatsoever. And, and the author of this article, just by choosing a 32-year-old activist European economist for the environmental data, shows that it's it's bullshit and it's going to be biased. This kid, uh, the economist, has a website devoted to showing how bad Bitcoin is for the environment. But either way, let's talk about the carbon footprint of money in general. Okay, we've got a planet dotted with physical buildings called banks. These banks are a remnant from the olden days when it was dangerous for you to hold your gold nuggets. Banks were basically buildings with a safe inside. You'd give your banker your gold nuggets. He'd give you notes, currency notes issued by the bank that were essentially IOUs that showed that the bank was holding your wealth. Uh, then you could trade these IOUs for goods and services, and whoever ended up with the note could go back to that bank and exchange your note for gold, okay? Now, of course, that's a gross oversimplification, but in today's world, how often do you really need to go to a bank? If you're like me, 
pretty much never. If you need cash, you can use an ATM wherever the hell you might find yourself. You don't go to a bank and or have to like you did 30 years ago. So do you think BlockFi is going to start opening branches everywhere so they can, quote, serve their customers better? No, of course they're not. But if you drive down any street, you're going to see bank after bank after bank. These are useless, antiquated institutions that require a few things. Heat, air conditioning, computers, and employees who use fossil fuels every day to get to those buildings. So as of 2019, there were 76,837 bank branches in the U.S., 76,837. Also, as of 2019, there were around 1.94 million people employed by FDIC-insured commercial banks in the U.S. Nobody can tell you how much energy is consumed by the banking system, but just the gas required to get those 1.94 million employees to the bank or the bank's corporate offices five days a week is probably doing a lot more damage to the environment than Bitcoin mining is. And those are just U.S. numbers. Think how many banks there are worldwide. So again, nobody can really tell you how much energy is being consumed by the banking system, but I've seen estimates that it's about double what Bitcoin consumes. And the same thing with gold mining, about double. But activist 30-year-old economists aren't out there railing against gold mining, are they? No, they're not. And did you ever notice how nice computers are in the banks? Well, they probably don't replace them every 18 months, but they do replace them every couple of years. Talk about mountains of scrapped hardware. So I'll put a link to the New York Times article in the show notes, and I'd suggest that you read it just because it's so ham-fisted and meant to give its readers fits about the environmental calamity that Bitcoin is causing. But if you wanted a more balanced, rational look at Bitcoin and its energy usage, I'd like to send you to an article by a woman named Lynn Alden. Okay, if you haven't heard of Lynn Alden, she's super smart. She's a real live investor and an investing advisor with an engineering background. And she really understands how Bitcoin works from the ground up, unlike our European economist friend. Her article is extremely long. But it's a great retort to this Times article, even though it was written months before this dumb article. Um, I'll have a link in the show notes. But here's a paragraph from the article that says it all. Quote, and it's easier to sensationalize things for page views or political gain. Side note, in case you hadn't noticed, the New York Times in 2021 is an editorial outlet, not a source of unbiased journalism. The Times Bitcoin article is a perfect example of this fact. Okay, back to Lynn. For example, it's commonly said that the Bitcoin network uses more energy than some countries. That's true, but then so does Google, YouTube, Netflix, Facebook, Amazon, the cruise industry, Christmas lights, household drying machines, private jets, the zinc industry, and basically any other sizable platform or industry. From that list, Bitcoin's energy usage is the closest to that of the cruise industry's energy usage. But Bitcoins are used by more people and the network scales far better. Okay, I'll put a link to that article in the show notes and I really highly recommend that you read it. Um, but the last thing that I wanna share is some of the comments from the frightened, weak, intellectually uncurious readers of that New York Times article. 
First up, Bruce Rosenblit from Kansas City, Missouri says, Now I understand. Bitcoin is a colossal waste of energy. By that criteria alone, it should be banned. What's the point? To hide transactions from authorities? Is that it? What benefit is there to society? He goes on to say, Legitimate businesses should not accept Bitcoin for payment, period. This energy-wasting madness must stop. We are experiencing a climate crisis that threatens civilization. That is more important than hiding transactions from governments. Bitcoin is like having one person drive around a 50-ton SUV. Nothing but waste. So this clown reveals just how little he cares about knowing the truth. By those first three words, now I understand. What a tool. Anyway, if you get your news from any one source like this guy Bruce does, like say the Times or the Post or CNN or Fox or MSNBC or any other one outlet, you're going to end up like him, an ignorant turd making rash declarations about what should or shouldn't be banned. Anyway, here's another comment. Lyle Ross from Houston wrote, A better way to ask this question is, how can we allow this to happen? When did we become so greedy that we'd allow folks to trade a useless currency that is helping destroy the planet? Next up, Dave Friedlander from Delray Beach wrote, Cryptocurrencies serve no useful purpose to society. They are largely used for ransom and for criminal transactions such as large-scale drug sales. Add to that the waste of energy, and most people would be better off if it were illegal to possess cryptocurrencies. In my humble opinion, it should be illegal to possess them. Now that's probably the best in show. I'm Dave, an angry, ignorant, lifetime Democrat, living in Houston, of all places, and based on a 3,000-word article in the Times about a technology I can't understand, I want my government to outlaw it. So anyway, links to both articles, again, are in the show notes, and I would highly recommend you read both. Um, and real quick, while we're on the subject of crypto, since it's the beginning of the month, I wanted to give you an update on the interest that I'm earning on my crypto, because I find this extremely exciting. So the bulk of my crypto is Bitcoin, um, and some of it I'm holding in BlockFi, which pays me now 4.5% interest. So for the month of August, for my BlockFi holdings, I made a cool $52.31. Okay, now that doesn't sound like very much, I, I know, but it's $52.31 more than I would have made if I kept it in Coinbase or in a uh, you know a private wallet. And if I wanted to make 50 bucks off of a checking account that earns half a percent in interest, I would have needed $150,000 in the bank. So real quick, let's talk about emergency funds, okay? Um, so I'm on a couple of Facebook groups dealing with retirement, and one guy asked a question about where he should keep his emergency fund, which generated a whole bunch of answers from a bunch of very opinionated people who were eager to tell him what to do and even more eager to tell the other people who answered why their answers were wrong. Anyway, whatever you do, don't get financial advice from Facebook groups. There are so many armchair experts out there, and almost all of them are idiots. So anyway, this guy got all sorts of input on where he should put his money. But multiple people just told him to put it in a savings account because of the highly liquid nature of those accounts. And also because Dave Ramsey tells you to do that. So let me ask you, when you have an emergency, how often do you need cash money? And how often do you need it right away? 
I would say pretty much never. Even bail bondsmen take credit cards now. So if you, your wife gets arrested, you can spring her drunk ass out of county lockup without needing to go to a bank and withdraw cash from your emergency fund. So you don't need to keep your emergency fund in the bank where that money loses value in real terms every year. One thing that you might consider is using a bank of the future like BlockFi to hold your emergency fund. Now, why do I call BlockFi a bank of the future? Well, first off, you can store your money there, okay? And you don't have to put it in Bitcoin. You can buy a stable coin like DAI, D-A-I, or Gemini USD, both of which are pegged to the dollar, and you can earn interest on it without exposing yourself to the volatility of other cryptocurrencies, like, say, Solana, which I finally bought about 2500 bucks worth last week, and now it's worth over 4000 But if you don't want that kind of volatility, you can just put your money in stable coins. And like, so for example, if you took part of your emergency fund, put it into BlockFi, and you put it into a stable coin like DAI or Gemini USD, you could make 8% on that money. If you buy Bitcoin, like I said, you'd pull in uh, 4.5%. And if you bought Ethereum, you could make 5%. And it's pretty liquid. It might take you a day or two for the withdrawal to go through. But if you do end up having an emergency, you, you're going to put whatever the emergency charges are on your credit card anyway. So why people get so nervous about having to have instant access to cash, I don't understand. Um, I just like to have every one of my dollars working for me. And I hope you can get kind of into that mindset as well. Disclaimer, again, I'm not making financial advice here. And do your research before you make any decisions. But either way, putting your money into a savings account is just about the worst thing that you can possibly do. I mean, if you took Dave Ramsey's advice and had an emergency fund of six to nine months of expenses on hand in a checking account, I mean, think about that. Say your actual expenses were four grand a month and you scrimped and saved to the point where you had $36,000 at the ready in your emergency fund. I mean, that would be great. But if you put it into a bank where it made a half a percent interest or less, I mean, think about that. That 36 grand is going to lose at least 5% a year in real terms with inflation. So if you follow Uncle Dave's advice, you'd be losing the equivalent of 1800 bucks a year if you kept your money in that checking account. Okay, I didn't mean to spend this much time on emergency funds, but I could actually go on about this for another half hour. So I'm going to save this for another episode, but sign up for BlockFi. You can get $250 in bonus crypto and you'll be supporting the show. Just go to rogueretirementlounge.com slash crypto. Once again, that's rogueretirementlounge.com slash crypto. Get signed up for BlockFi. Again, it is the bank of the future. Okay, that's it for today. Have a great one and I will talk at you next week. And remember, make your money work for you. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial, legal, or tax advice. Though there's some kick-ass information here, it's for informational purposes only. Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com.